What is good, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I just want to thank y'all real quick before we get into this. Thank y'all so much for uh, constantly supporting this podcast and listening to the episodes. I really do hope that uh, every episode is helping y'all learn something, uh, whether it's in regards to God's word or philosophy or anything along those lines. Um, I really do hope that God is uh, working in your life and, and helping you grow in the knowledge of him and in his word. And with that being said, we're going to hop into uh, some interesting topics today. We're, we're continuing on to Ephesians 4, but if you followed along with the podcast long enough, you know that uh, you know a verse or two can, can get us onto uh, a lot of different segues and topics, um, exploring what that verse entails and what it what it means and what the author of the verse intended with it and today is going to be no different um i know you've read the title i normally don't really kind of give a rundown before an episode of what we're going to be talking about but we're going to hit on slavery and it's not going to be like what you think and the conclusions we come to may be uncomfortable for some people But with that being said, let's hop into this. (laughs) We're going to be going through verses 20 through 24 in Ephesians 4. And I want to read through verses 19 through 24 just so we can get some context for what Paul was talking about as a whole. So let's just hop straight into this. Starting in verse 19, Paul says, They, regarding the Gentiles, have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So like we always do, let's pop straight into this. Verse 20, once again, Paul says, That is not the way you learned Christ. And if you missed last episode, I recommend they take the time to listen to it uh, because it will help you understand what Paul is talking about here in verse 20. It'll help you understand his thought process for the rest of this passage. But a quick summary would be this, that Paul calls out the sinful ways of the spiritual Gentiles. And spiritual Gentiles are those who are non-believers. They don't follow Christ. And he points out that these non-believers, these Gentiles, have darkened understanding. They have hardened their hearts, and as a result, they indulge themselves in sensuality, unrestrained sexual activity, and they are greedy. They're greedy to pursue impurity. That's interesting. Now, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, Hold on a second. <laughs> I want y'all to realize that that this this kind of behavior right here this is not how you learned about Jesus. This is not the example that Jesus has given us and this made me chuckle a little bit because this implies that the very behavior that Paul is condemning and the way of life is how non-believers had learned from their gods. And this to me is funny because 
Paul is writing to a group of people who are a part of Greek culture, right? It, when he's talking to the Gentiles, in most part, he is talking to people who were engulfed in Greek culture. And Greek culture at this time uh, actively believed in and worshipped the Greek gods. And the name of the god on the top of that list, as many of us know, is Zeus. Now, I, I don't know what you know about Zeus and his reputation and actions within Greek mythology, but, <laughs> whew, boy, <laughs> it, it's wild. <laughs> and honestly, I have never heard of a more sexually deviant character in my life. And for sake of sparing you all from the details, I'll give you a bird's eye view of the story surrounding Zeus and his behavior. Uh, if any of you want to learn deeper, and learn more details, you can certainly do a Google search, and I promise you, you will find the answers. But here is a summary, and a quick warning, if there are kids listening, just quickly for about 30 seconds, plug their ears, don't let them listen. All right, that was your warning. We're hopping into this. Zeus was famous for having sex with women. But not just having sex with women, he would have sex with both female goddesses and human women. He was famous for his stories of raping women and turning into animals to seduce and or rape women. And when you, when you research this, you will find well over 46. I just did a quick count of all the ones I could quickly find. Well over 46 incidents where Zeus is seducing, taking advantage of, abusing, deceiving women for sexual pleasure. I, I warned you that this is the character of Zeus that gets portrayed in Greek mythology. And this was, as well, the chief god in the pantheon of the gods that Greek culture believed in and worshipped. And it goes without being said, but you are, are bound to follow and mimic the example set forth by the beings, by the people, by the idols that you believe in and worship. And because of this, there are those who worship the Greek gods, and they worshiped their, their, their view of sexual deviancy, and they viewed it as good. Because if their gods that they hold to this high standard are doing these acts, well then, of course, this must be good. And so this is how the Gentiles learned about morality and learned about the relations regarding sexual activity. They learned about these things through their gods. And to them, sexual deviancy and unrestricted sexual activity and impurity was not just something that was permissible. Or even just something that could be seen as good. It was a main feature of the religion that they practiced. And as Paul points out, this sinful activity, he makes it very clear that unlike Zeus and these other Greek gods, this is not how you learned Jesus Christ. This is not how you learned about Jesus Christ. This is not how you learned of Jesus Christ. This is not how you learned from Jesus Christ. None of this 
could ever be tied to actions remotely regarding anything that Jesus would ever say or do. Jesus Christ is completely and utterly different and distinct in every single way from these mythological gods, and therefore those who follow Christ are called to live in a different way. Look at what Paul says in verse 21. He says, hey, this is not how you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, this is interesting to me because Paul qualifies what it means to, quote unquote, learn Christ. And it is that you have not only heard about him, but that you were taught in him. And it's important to be taught about Jesus by Jesus' own teachings and the teachings of his apostles concerning him because the truth is in Jesus. And if the truth is in Jesus and we find this truth by knowing his teachings, then it follows that we should strive towards a deep understanding of God's word. I, I heard this recently from someone who made the claim that they can love God and they can be a Christian and follow Christ and show God's love without ever having to read Scripture. And to me, that seems unfortunately quite foolish, because how can that be? How can you say that you can love God, follow God, share God's love, and be a follower of Christ without even knowing what this God claims to be, without even knowing who this God claims he is, without even knowing what this God teaches that you must do in order to actually love him and actually share his love to those around you. And if you're, if you're not willing to read his word, then the God that you are following is not the God that we find in Scripture. It's not Jesus Christ that you're following. It's a God that you have made up. It's a God that you have crafted in your own mind, a God that in your own mind is suitable and good and loving by your own standards of what is good and what is loving. And we can look at this from two different lenses. We could look at this just purely from a, a naturalistic lens. And we can see that when left to our own devices, no, all of humanity does not agree on the nuances of what is good and what is loving. Everybody has their own various ways of viewing what love and mercy and goodness are. If somebody commits a murder in America, you can find many people who will say that it is good and loving to forgive this person and to rid them free of any sort of prison time. You will find people like that. But then you can go to a country in the Middle East and tell them the same story that somebody murdered an innocent person. And they would say that, yes, we can still love them in the fact that God loves them and they're a human being, but they view love also as God's divine justice. And they want to see this murderer face justice and punishment for the evil acts that he has committed. 
Both are talking about love, but with completely and radically different outcomes. So what all of this to say is that you you can't know the truth. You can't follow Jesus if you don't actually read the scripture that he gave. John tells us in chapter one that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word came to dwell among us. That very same word is the word that we have been left in Holy Scripture. And why would we not want to know what Holy Scripture says concerning the God that we claim to follow? Otherwise, like I said before, you're just worshiping a God of your own creation. And if you're worshiping a God of your own creation, then you are worshiping yourself. And if you're worshiping yourself, and you're upholding yourself to the standard of a good, morally perfect, and all-loving God, well, you're going to run into a lot of problems. And you're going to find out very soon that this God that you have crafted in your mind is utterly incapable of bringing you peace, joy, true love, protection, or any sort of salvation. This God that you craft in your mind is going to be a God that tells you that you can sin all you want and it's okay because I love you. And this very same faulty line of thinking is what leads people to the very activity that Paul pointed out in verses 17 through 19. That you have a darkened understanding of who God is. You've hardened your hearts believing that you you somehow can follow and understand and mimic a being that you know nothing about. And because of that, you fall into the sensuality and you become greedy to practice all the sin that you can possibly practice. That's what happens when Verse 21 here in Ephesians 4 is not applied, namely that you have not actually heard about Christ and you were actually not taught in him. And because of that, you don't know the truth. Because the truth is in Jesus. And we only know who Jesus is if we read the word that he has so graciously given us. And if the truth is in fact in Jesus and we find this truth by knowing his teachings, scripture, right, and, and the teachings of his apostles, then it follows that we should strive to have a deep understanding of God's word. And, and this, like many things in Ephesians, goes back to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. Y'all thought I forgot about that. <laughs> if you've been going through this Ephesians series with me, you know I've been referencing this prayer that Paul has in Ephesians 1 that the believers he's writing to would have a knowledge of God. And then we see the chain of effect that happens from just having an uh, actual deep and complete knowledge of God, right? So Paul prays this in Ephesians 1, that believers would have wisdom and have this knowledge of God, because how else would you know to turn away from the sinful ways pushed by culture and your own desires without the knowledge of of who God is and what he has called you to. That goes back to what we just talked about. How can you, how can you understand where you're going wrong 
in your understanding of who God is and what he wants from his creation, if you don't even take the time to read the scripture that he has given you to tell you who he is and what he expects of you and how he interacts with the people that he loved and created. And this is essentially what Paul is saying, that the spiritual Gentiles are acting a fool and it's because they have faulty knowledge regarding Christ. And because they lack knowledge of God or because they have hard hearts, they are becoming sexually and sinfully deviant. But for believers, we know better. We should know better. And we should know better because God himself came to earth to tell us to know better. And he left us with apostles that continued to guide the early church. They wrote their letters of wisdom and instruction and knowledge, and that has been passed down to us. So logically, if we know that our default selves without God, if we know that ourselves left to our own devices are corrupt and sinful, and we acknowledge this, that's the first step is not just saying, ah, oh, it's a possibility, but actually acknowledging that I am, I'm jacked up. I'm very evil without God. If we acknowledge this, there's only one smart thing to do. And this is the logical steps that Paul is taking. If we acknowledge this and we understand the truth that is in Christ, as Paul says in verse 22, now it's time to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. This right here, this is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it means to love Christ. To love Christ means that you are going to abandon your own desires in order to do the will of an almighty, all good God. And as some of you may recognize or maybe even feel is that uh, this doesn't naturally feel good to us. <laughs> this is unpopular to say. It's unpopular in our world today for sure to say that your desires should be left behind in order to do the will of someone else. If I just said that, as just a just a statement without any context, I said it is going to it is good for you to abandon your individual desires in order to do the will of someone else. What would the claim be? You're talking about slavery. That for many people would be seen as a form of slavery. But what is interesting is that. Jesus gave us freedom. But, but what exactly does that mean? It, is the freedom that Jesus gave complete and utter freedom from any and everything? Or is it freedom from something specific? Well, Scripture is actually pretty clear about this. It's clear that Christ gave us freedom from sin. Christ gave us freedom from ourselves. <laughs> But he did so with the expectation that we will then become 
servants or slaves to God. Now, that may make some of you uncomfortable. And like I said before, this is certainly not popular in culture and in the world today. Dante, how dare you say, how dare you blaspheme and say that Christ gave us freedom just so we can become slaves? Well, let's make a few things clear. Let's first clarify that slavery, when it's in reference to Scripture, is not how many Americans, at least, view slavery. Scripture is not talking about racially motivated chattel slavery of the American South. The slavery talked about in, in Scripture, if we're just talking about just a generic sense, if there's a Bible verse in the, if there's a verse in the Bible that says, this guy owns a slave. The way that Scripture talks about slavery is the same way that the ancients at this time had slavery. And we see this in the Old Testament when it talks about slavery. And there's very strict guidelines and a very defined understanding of what slavery or servitude means. When the word slave is used in Scripture, it centers more around a servitude that in many cases was brought about in order to pay off a debt. But this idea around becoming a slave or a servant to one that was able to pay for your way and now you are indebted to them, this is an idea that we find in Scripture in reference to God. We talked about this a few episodes back with the gift of grace. But I want to look at a few scriptures here that talk about the freedom that we've been given and the the expected result of us being slaves or servants to God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. It says this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Isn't that interesting? And what's interesting, too, is that the Greek word for servants here is a doulos, which literally means slave. So Peter is telling us that in one sense, we're set free, right? We are, we are free from sin and evil because of the sacrifice that Christ made. He gave us another way to live. We no longer have to live in sin. We no longer have to just follow our sinful and evil desires in the flesh and do all of these things. We now have another way that we can live. And so in one sense, we're set free, right? We're free from sin and evil that left to our own devices we will partake in. But instead of using our freedom to become slaves to ourself again, instead of using our freedom to become slaves to sin again, Peter says that we should use our freedom to become slaves to a righteous, holy, and good God. Let that sink in for a moment. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? 
But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul lays this out beautifully, that regardless of how free you think you are, metaphysically speaking, philosophically speaking, you will always be a slave to whatever or whoever it is that you obey. That's just, that's just the bottom line. You are a slave to something or someone. You could be a slave to an ideology. You could be a slave to a moral system. You could be a, a slave to many different things. You could be a slave to your phone. You could be a slave to uh, the opinion of your friends, uh, so on and so forth. The list is never-ending. We all are slaves to something. As Paul points out, you're a slave to whatever it is that you obey. And you can choose to either obey sin and evil and be a slave to the thing that wants to destroy you and will destroy you. Or you can choose to obey a righteous and holy God and be a slave to that righteous and holy God. But either way, no matter how you try and slice it, you will be a slave. If in fact we are to be enslaved in service of something or someone, regardless of how free we think we are. We have to choose. What we have to choose is, are we going to be a slave to a path that leads us to eternal life or death? And this is the crux of Paul's logic here in Ephesians 4, is that without Jesus Christ, we naturally become slaves to our sinful desires. And this is classified as our old self, how people can come to the conclusion that they can know God and love God and follow God and be a living example of God and be a Christian without ever reading his word to know who he is or what he says we need to do. That is an example of being a slave to your own sinful self. What better way to convince yourself that you are holy? when you are utterly not holy, then convincing yourself that you don't actually, actually need to know what constitutes being holy or unholy. That would be like me saying that I am a living example of what it means to follow the law and to be a good citizen. I can be a good citizen and I can follow the law to a T and do exactly what it is that our, our government wants me to do. But I am never going to take one single look at what the law actually says. But don't worry. I'm somehow just going to know what is legal and right without ever reading the law. And this, my friends, is what leads us to being a slave to our own sinful desires. And Paul classifies this as our old self. And following Christ is more than just saying, that you believe. It is more than just having a knowledge of God. 
Following Christ in its essence is a belief that is followed by action. And as Paul describes, that action is in fact the abandonment of our old sinful self. And the only reason that you're able to abandon your old sinful self is because of the sacrifice that Jesus made and the resurrection that Jesus did that gives you freedom from your old self. It gives you freedom from sin. And you now have the choice to put on the new self, the new self that chooses to be a slave to Christ. And here's the cool thing, that this new self is created after God's righteousness in holiness. And this cannot be overstated that despite all of the seemingly negative condemnation that comes with the gospel, right? A lot of people will say that, that, oh, the gospel is just a message of hate. That's what the culture loves to say about the gospel. But the gospel and the message of Jesus clearly calls out the sinful acts of humanity. So in one sense, the gospel comes for everyone. But it's not solely a message of accusation. It's also a message of redemption. Because although we're told that that Jesus brings a sword, we're also told that he is a way to new life a life that is holy. But we have to be willing to do two things. One being that we need to acknowledge our sinful, corrupt ways and fervently repent from them. And two, we need to be willing to completely change the way we live so that we can mirror the teachings and examples set forth by Jesus Christ. That's the steps that need to be taken to put away our old selves and put on our new selves that Jesus has given us the ability to do. And that can only be known by actually reading God's word. You you can't go on in life thinking that you can just ignore the revelation that God has given us, but somehow uh, through osmosis just perfectly follow it or even understand why or what it is you're supposed to be doing. And second, we have to understand that we're going to be slaves. Ideologically speaking, morally speaking, politically speaking, religiously speaking, whatever it is that we choose to obey, we become a slave to that. And we have to take a deep look at the thing that we are obeying and ask ourselves, is this going to lead to holiness and righteousness and eternal life and salvation in Jesus Christ? Or is this going to lead? to sin and death and utter destruction.